Welcome to Center Ice. It is the 30th of November in the year of our Lord 2021. This is our second episode in just over a week. We really, really try to get two episodes in a month. We weren't sure if we were going to have a whole lot to talk about at first, but a lot has happened over the last week and a bit. So we've got a full packed episode for you this week. And let's jump right into it as I bring in my partner in crime, Mac Vincent. Mac, how are you doing today? Let's talk about the Montreal Canadiens first, because this is a conversation you and I have had a lot over the years, and we feel like it was only a matter of time. But again, Jeff Gordon takes over as president of hockey operations and assumes the interim GM position. But I got to tell you, Matt, I don't envy whoever steps into that GM chair because they are not inheriting a good situation here in Montreal. No. And you and I have talked about Montreal ad nauseum for a little while now. You and I may have taken a bit of flack online, especially if we were a top tier NHL analysts. But both you and I said at the start of the season, even though we didn't have a season prediction episode, we said Montreal isn't going to be good this year. It felt like last year was a bit of a fluky run in there, a team with a lot of flaws, a team that really had Kerry Price and uh, Shea Weber, Cole Caulfield, the three of them as their crutch. And the offense in particular just has not been there all season. Mac, only 55 goals for really, that's not good enough for a team that really relies on two things, Mac. They rely on their strong goaltending from Carey Price. And of course, Carey Price has had his struggles on and off the ice this year. So certainly feel for Carey Price there. One of the more likable goalies in the league. And then you look at the offense. The offense really helped propel a Montreal team that really was okay defensively in the playoffs, but weren't the best team in the world. It still, it felt like a bit of a fluky run. You and I were right about it. And Montreal off to an awful start to the season, Mac. 6-16-2. And I'm glad Jeff Molson stepped up here, Mac, because there were still rumors flying around on the day he, Bergevin, got fired that he was going to stick around because he got the extension. They had made the Stanley Cup final less than six months ago. But I'm glad he stepped up. I'm with you. I don't envy whoever takes over that position. The rumor I'm hearing right now, I'm sure you've heard it, Patrick Wall. I don't know how credible that is. He has said he would like to take over that job. He is bilingual. He does have some experience, but I think Montreal is going to look uh, for someone a bit more experienced than Patrick Wall to replace Mark Bergevin. No, I agree with you on that front. I think you would maybe look at Patrick Waugh for a position in the front office, but I don't think you'd want him as your GM. Um, there's just a few too many questions about him and his track record and whatnot. Now that would that be a very bold move and would it be very entertaining? Yes, but <laughs> I don't think that would be the right move. There are plenty of other directions they can go, but you're right. I mean, let's give credit to Molson here. He did the right thing. Obviously it wasn't an easy thing. It sounds like he and Bergevin became kind of good friends over the years. And to me, Jeff Molson seems like a good guy. You remember that story over the summer where he saved somebody from drowning. He just seems like a good owner that cares about his team and his players and his staff. So we'll see where this goes, but I do think there's a chance that Gorton will become the GM based on the fact that there are guys available out there for them that are more suited to a position like president of hockey operations rather than GM. So we'll see. 
And there are also other guys that have stepped down from their roles on other teams. And you could look to the minor leagues and whatnot. But, you know, the thing with Montreal is always going to be you have to have a bilingual GM. It's just it's just the reality of the situation. Personally, I don't really agree with it. It's my opinion that you could have a very good translator and have a very good GM and the translator could translate all their words at the press conferences and whatnot. But, you know, it's just, it's a thing in Montreal. It's very important to them. And it kind of narrows the field in terms of who they can get. And people say, are they going to get Matthew Darsh from Tampa Bay? I don't think Matthew Darsh is coming from Tampa Bay to Montreal. Do you? No, I don't think so either. Of course, you mentioned the bilingual thing. And I think a good comparison for this, Mac, is baseball. Think about all of the big MLB stars that can hardly speak a lick of English, yet they're doing just fine with po- with post-game and pre-game press conferences because they have translators. There's no reason you can't have a translator working for the team. The Montreal Canadiens have oodles of money, and they don't have to put the translator against the salary cap. So why not spend a little extra money on a translator and get a GM who... I'm sure they'll work on learning French. It's just something you learn in Eastern Ontario and Quebec. If you live in this part of the country like I do, you do learn French over time. You learn it in school, obviously. And if you use it often enough, you pick it up. So I think a translator is a good investment for the Canadians. And I think it would draw in a lot more candidates, as you say. So I think Montreal, as you mentioned there, their GM candidate field is very, very narrow. And I think that could hurt them depending on who they can get. Yeah, for sure. And again, we've mentioned the situation with the roster is a little bit hairy. I mean, here's the positive for whoever's taking over. You still have a good young core here. It just needs to be surrounded with the right types of players, players that aren't too old. And you need to be in, I would say, in a better salary cap situation. Because if you look at their cap situation right now, you have $11 million in cap space. But you also have Hoffman, Edmondson, you know, Perot, Weber, of course, Carey Price all on injured reserve. So that's not really accurate. And now if you just take a look at their situation in terms of some of these contracts, you do have Drouin coming off the books, not this year, but next year after the 2022-2023 season. And then you also have some guys coming off the books like a Ben Sherratt, who's coming off next year, who I already heard they're possibly dangling in trades. I think that's the right call. Jeff Petrie signed long-term. Joel Armia is getting 34 for the next four years. But again, you have some good players here. You have Brendan Gallagher, you have Lekkonen, you have Caulfield, Suzuki, Ryan Paling. Obviously the goaltending is good. So to me, it's it's not an unfixable situation. It's just a situation where it's going to take a lot of work. Like fixing this team is going to take a few years in my estimation. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Montreal, they do have a good core. I completely agree. But you and I have said it for a while. This is a team that is still in a retooling phase and will take another year or two. And I think Jeff Molson, he basically admitted that yesterday by firing Mark Bergevin. He's looking to Jeff Gordon and potentially outside hands to rebuild slash retool this team. And I think Montreal's got the pieces there. I've said that before. And I think with some proper trading and some signing, 
this is a Montreal team that in a year or two could find themselves at the other end of the standings because right now, Montreal, with what they've got, is just not good enough. All right, let's stick with the Atlantic Division, shall we? And let's talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes, uh, the Maple Leafs, a team that uh, you used to be a big fan of and now just a casual observer, I'd say. But we got to give credit where credit's due here, Mac. You look at the Toronto Maple Leafs record first in the Atlantic Division, 16-6-1, and in their last 10 games, they are 9-1. and That record pretty much speaks for itself. And there's a few things that really stuck out to me when looking at the Maple Leafs this year, Mac. The first one I really noticed is John Tavares has had a really good start to the season. And John Tavares, over his time in Toronto, Mac, you and I have talked about this before. He's been solid. He's been pretty good. But he hasn't been that X-factor piece that we've been waiting for. Right now, he's leading the team in points. He's got 22 points, 10 goals, 12 assists. And he's looking really good. He's being he's the difference maker out there, along with William Nylander, Austin Matthews, Marner. They've got their top guys going. And the big thing I noticed this year, Mac, is they've got depth. They've got depth on the forward core, on the defensive core. And the big one, of course, is the goaltending. Jack Campbell and Joseph Wall are finally giving the Leafs some consistent goaltending. And to me, that is such a key because the Leafs with... Frederick Anderson, for the longest time, did not have a reliable goaltending duo there. And now that they've got Campbell and Wool, who are both putting up solid numbers, you look at Campbell's numbers this year, Mac, you and I talked about this before coming on the air here. Jack Campbell, this year, 946 save percentage, a 168 goal against average, and a 928 career save percentage so far. He has been amazing. And he has been the brick wall that the Maple Leafs needed for the longest time, because I think you and I have given up on the Leafs ever playing a full 60 minutes at this point, Mac. And I'll give them credit. The Leafs are playing pretty close to a consistent full 60 minutes at the moment. But every team's going to have those off nights where maybe your defense isn't quite as strong as it should be, or you're coming off a back to back, for example, and you're, you're just not in the zone, if you know what I mean. And Having a consistent goaltender like Jack Campbell, who you know you can rely on to make some key saves at the key times, it makes all the difference in the world. If you're a defender going out there knowing your goalie's got your back, such a comforting feeling. And the Leafs really feel like they're playing as a team. They're playing with confidence. I feel like they can go out and beat anyone. This is a confident Leafs team. Of course, we have yet to see if this will continue through the playoffs, but as we approach the uh, halfway mark quickly, I would say so far, so good for the Maple Leafs. No, you're right. And those are really great points you made. And and just back on Jack Campbell, um, it is a 927 save percentage with the Leafs, which is elite. And his career save percentage is up to 923. 32 wins in 45 games since coming over from L.A., And I think it was a tough move for LA to make because they knew they had something good in him. But I think I'll give credit to Rob Blake who made the move. I believe when he was in charge there, he knew he deserved a chance to play. And unfortunately he wasn't going to get that with quick and Peterson in LA and he's gotten the chance and, and he's become not only a spectacular goalie for the Leafs, but also just a great teammate, a great person to be around. And like you said, that confidence that he exudes when he plays 
it just rubs off on all the players. I'm just really impressed with how good he has been since he's joined the Leafs. You know, he's been a top five goalie in the league, and that's not a question. But you mentioned the depth, and the depth has always been kind of a sore spot for the Leafs. Now, this year, it's a little different because you have some of the guys you brought in last year, like Engvall and Simmons, and they're playing better. They're playing you know, a little more than they would normally would. But you also have guys that maybe weren't quite ready last year in Rasmus Sandin, who looks a lot better this year. Timothy Liljegren. You're able to kind of slot in Travis Dermott or Liljegren whenever you like. You have that depth, like you mentioned. Now, the two other guys I want to mention here, Matt, are David Kampf and Andre Kasha. Now, Kampf is more of a defensive player. He wins a lot of face-offs. He's good on the penalty kill. Real good, smart player. Kasha has been described as a kamikaze bomber in how he plays. <laughs> and he really does kind of play like that, but he has been a huge asset to the Leafs when they brought him in on kind of a buy-low deal. You remember, he was a really promising young player with the Anaheim Ducks, ran into some injuries, did get traded to Boston. Things just didn't work out for him there, and he was injured a lot. But to me, he looks like he's regaining that confidence. He scored some great goals this year. He's off to a really good start. And it's not just that, Matt, that I see in this team this year. I think they've really transitioned from a team that plays on the perimeter and looks for the fancy plays to a team that will take what's given to them. You know, they understand that if the fancy plays there, they'll take it, you know, on the power play and whatnot. But they also understand understand that if it's not, they have to earn that ice in the slot. So I've seen improved play along the wall, cycling it down low, and most importantly, driving to the net. Now, this is a concept that a lot of teams just don't adopt, but it's huge. And I'm seeing it with the Leafs right now. So, I mean, like you said, it's early and we don't know if this will continue, but let's give credit where credit is due. And again, we both feel like Sheldon Keefe is the right coach for this team. And we feel like they have the talent to do well. And now it seems like they're really molding their game into a style that could bring that playoff success potentially. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the confidence is there. And that's the key. In my opinion, Mac, the Leafs have all the talent. They know how they need to play in the playoffs to win. They just need to have the confidence in their team and in themselves that they can, as a group, collectively say, okay, it doesn't matter where we are, who we're playing. We're a good team. We've got the talent here. This is a team that can win a playoff round. And I really do think that if they can get over that first round hump, I would be terrified to play this Maple Leafs team. Because once they're playing with confidence, they're going to be a team that's going to be a really hard team to beat. And before we move on, we just got to send a congratulations to one of our favorite players here on Center Ice. And that is Jason Spezza. 1,200 career games, a real milestone there. So congratulations to Jason Spezza for surpassing that milestone. Oh, for sure. And, and I think he's another player that I think has really helped this Maple Leafs team because I think the younger guys, they see a player who just loves the game of hockey and he just he wants to stick around for as long as he can. And the thing that's impressed me about Spezza is ever since he came to Toronto, he's really changed his game. You know, he's he used to be kind of a playmaker sniper type player and he still has those abilities, but I've noticed a much more improved defensive player, a smarter player. He understands what he has to do to kind of contribute. He kills penalties. He does all kinds of things and just a really valuable guy on that third or fourth line for the Leafs. Absolutely. Jason Spezza 
one of their key depth players. And I think he's going to stick around for quite a while, Mac. I know he's getting up there in age. He's age 38, but he he's showing no signs of slowing down. He's transformed his role from the hard skating, fast skating, playing centerman to a solid depth centerman who I think any team in the league would be happy to have. All right. Yes. So let's talk about Alexander Ovechkin. Oh, well, the first thing I wrote on Alex Ovechkin here, Mac, is that we're not worthy of what Alex Ovechkin is doing. He's been a treat to watch through his entire career. And especially this year, he is rocketing up the all-time scoring list. It's only just a matter of time until the only person he has left to beat is Wayne Gretzky. And I really do think he's going to make it. And what's crazy, Mac, is four or five years ago, no one thought would have thought Wayne Gretzky's 894 would ever be matched, let alone beat. But at this point, barring a major injury, Ovechkin will break the record, Mac, because not only is he playing really well, he seems to be getting better with each year, which is insane because every goalie knows how to stop him at this point, especially from the from the left hash mark. But every year he keeps scoring from there ad nauseum. And at this point, he only needs to average 33 goals a season over the next few years to break it. And he's already well on pace for over 33 goals. So I think it's going to happen. We're witnessing history here, Mac, and it's exciting to watch. Oh, it's incredible. And we've talked about this before, but you and I are just so grateful for the amount of amazing players we've seen in our lifetime. I mean, there's just so many, and he's another one. I agree with you. First of all, he's going to break the record. It's just a matter of when. It's going to happen. I wonder how many goals he's going to score this year. I think he could get 50 goals. I really do. And what I really like about Ovechkin, and not necessarily the same as Spezza, but kind of similar in that he has changed his game over the years. And like you said, in terms of him getting better, what I've noticed is he gets better in different areas of the game. And everybody knows he's not the greatest skater but he's got a great shot. He's very smart. He can play physical. He's a great team guy. But I noticed a play the other night for Ovechkin. It was a very subtle play and not something that maybe people talk about a lot. They had the puck in the attacking zone and there was a defenseman that pinched in from the point. I think it was Jensen just to keep the puck in and keep the play alive. And what does Ovechkin do? He retreats back to the point to cover for Jensen. So then he waits for Jensen to fish the puck out of the corner and he waits for Jensen to come back towards the point. And then he starts making his way to the slot. And sure enough, guess where the puck ends up? It's in the net, but that's a good play that he made. And that's a goal he certainly earned. So I think I enjoy watching kind of his overall game evolve. You know, he he went from like this crazy goal scoring maniac that would hit everything that moves to this really smart great team guy, great leader type player. So, you know, watching his career has just been a treat, like you said. All right, well, let's move into something that hasn't been so great to watch, at least from a Senator's perspective. And the Ottawa Senators, Mac, I know we talked about them on our last episode, but I think we have to go into more depth here, in depth here, because the team just has not been good. They've been awful, to be frank, Mac. They're 4-14-1 on the season. The, even the lowly Coyotes, Mac, have surpass them. The Sens are clearly last in the NHL now, 32nd overall. And in their last nine games, they've only won one game. They've lost all all the other ones and they just haven't looked good. And I can say this from being here in Ottawa, Mac, patience among Sens fans is quickly fading. And I think it's rightly so. The Sens obviously have a decent young core, but fans 
are wanting a transition into a team that can start pushing towards the playoffs. And I don't think that expectation was too high for this team this year, Mac, based on how they were towards the end of last season, based off the core they had, the cap space they had. I think that that expectation was reasonable, not making the playoffs, but a team that can get out of the bottom 10 and start maybe pushing towards the playoffs, a team that will be playing meaningful hockey in late February, early March. And that's not going to happen this year. And I really do think that Pierre Dorian needs to be on the hot seat. When you look at his record, yeah, of course he hit a home run with the Carlson trade, but uh, pretty much every other trade you look at, all the big ones, you can question. A prime example is the Mark Stone trade. You trade him for Branstrom, yet Branstrom is still stuck in the AHL. He hasn't, when he has been given opportunity in the NHL, he hasn't been given a lot of time to prove how good of a player he could be in the NHL. The Duchesne trade, the original one, has been a mess all around, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. You can go through the Murray trade and the Hoffman trade, et cetera, et cetera, and you can pick all these apart and say he either shouldn't have got, he should have gotten a lot more he, or he shouldn't have traded that player. And I think we have to go into Murray here, Matt. First things first, before we get into whether Pierre Dorian should even stick around. Murray, the goalie you paid top tier starter money for is in the AHL now. 0-5-0 in his uh, starts this season, Mac. 326 goals against average in the NHL this year. For the money he is making, simply not good enough. And I think the Sens were right to waive him. I absolutely do. But that's to me, is the biggest black mark on your Dorian's record right now. And there's quite a few of them, in my opinion. And on to Murray. I mean, the interesting thing about him is, you know, you would have thought when they made that signing, well, well, the trade and then the signing, that it would be more of a reclamation project type deal. Because at that point in his career, he was not trending in the right direction. His numbers were down. Tristan Jari and Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, in separate seasons had taken over the starters crease for the Penguins. And all these teams were concerned about, okay, which Matt Murray are we getting? Are we getting the Matt Murray from when he won the Stanley Cup or the Matt Murray we've seen the last few years? And just to see the amount of money they committed to him saying that this was their guy with that much confidence and you know, it's not, it wasn't just the analytics community that was like, this is not a good idea. It was a lot of people. And you got, you know, the guys from TSN and Sportsnet that were like, oh, you know, he's a hometown guy. This is a great deal for the Sens. And you and I were like, oh boy, this is a risk and a half. And, you know, it hasn't worked out. If you look at their finishes the last four seasons, including this one, 2017, 2018, seventh in the division, 2018, 2019, eighth. 2019, 2020, seventh, and current season, sixth. So it's not like they haven't had time to do this rebuild. They've had plenty of time. And I don't think the whole Eugene Melnick thing is an excuse, but I think it goes back to the thing that you and I have talked about so often. And that's that Pierre Dorian has an inability to surround the Senators' young players with complimentary veteran players at a good price. Absolutely. You and I said it last week. It's worth repeating again this week. And I simply wrote on my notes here, Mac, and I think it sums it up perfectly. Where's the depth? There is no depth. Look on defense. The, you only got two to three good defensemen, depending on if Thompson is in the NHL. And on most nights, you've only got two. You've got Shabbat and you've got Zub. 
And those guys can't carry the load for the entire team. The four depth, it's just as atrocious too. You and I talked about that in depth last week. And you got to start surrounding these guys with good, solid veterans. And it's not like the Sens need to pony up all sorts of cash for it. They've got lots of cap space still. And you could sign some of these guys for league minimum, a million and a half, maybe two million for a year or two. Look, look at Toronto, the team we just talked about. They have surrounded some of their younger players with solid depth. They've got guys that they know that they can rely on to eat up some valuable minutes during the game, even though they're third and fourth liners. That's the difference between a team like Toronto and a team like Ottawa, having solid depth. Because you and I both know that guys like, like Kachuk, like Shabbat, like Pinto, like Branstrom, et cetera, et cetera. These are good young players. But where, where are the veteran presence around them to support them, to teach them the ropes, to give them some breaks, and to quite frankly bail them out? Because this is a, a really, really young team that is still quite inexperienced. No, you're right. And I, and I think the biggest thing that probably you and other senators fans feel is you're sick of this whole selling false hope thing. Oh, we have all these great young players and we're going to be good in a few years. You said that two, three years ago. How's that going for you? That's exactly it. And I I don't often go on Reddit Mac, but the send subreddit is a good way for me of seeing how do sense fans in general feel about this team. And right now, Patience is wearing very thin as it should. This is a team that has been in a rebuild for four or five years now and results need to start showing. And I said this before we got on air and I think I'll say it right here, Mac. I think Pierre Dorian needs to go. I think he's been given more than enough time. He's been given a decent amount of money. Obviously he's not going to get nearly as much money as a guy like Kyle Dubas will have, but Part of being a GM, Mac, and I'm not trying to make excuses for Melnick here, but part of being a GM is being able to work with ownership and what you've got. And if you can't get this team to be even slightly better than they are with all the time, all the assets, and all the money that you've got, I think that Pierre Dorian should go because he's a he's a fabulous scout, Mac. And, and that's the one thing that kind of gets me iffy about firing but at the same time you need a gm here not a scout because a gm would be able to transition this team from a rebuild to what i would call a retooling stage and the sense should be in that retooling stage with teams like new jersey like detroit like columbus like even montreal montreal is looking better than ottawa and montreal has been a train wreck montreal they fired bergevin of course, Benning should be fired in Vancouver too, but that's a different story. But for the amount of time that Pierre Dorian and I think even DJ Smith have been given with this group and how little improvement there's been, if you're Eugene Melnick, you've got to at least be uh, making Dorian and DJ Smith feel the heat because I, I really don't think the expectations were too lofty for the Senators this year. Do you? No, the expectation was that you would improve, you would be competitive every night, and you wouldn't win all your games, but you would at least be kind of going in the right direction, and they're going the wrong direction. I mean, and, and I guess more concerning is you've already tied up most of your young players, 
And now you're getting into a situation where you're starting to run out of money in terms of re-signing these good young players that are going to need contracts long-term. And again, the, the big issue is the inability to surround those young players with complementary veteran players to make this team better. And they just, every time they bring in a veteran player, it seems to be kind of one of these guys that nobody wants. And, and it's just like, oh, let's give this guy, you know, top line minutes when he probably wouldn't play on other teams. It's just, it's crazy. When I, I, I think it sums it out, sums it up perfectly here, Mac. This is my fi- This was my final note I wrote here on the sense. You can continue to hit home runs on top pick after top pick, but the results need to be shown in the NHL or those top picks don't mean anything. And I think that's a really good way of summing it up here, Mac. Yes, you've got the top picks. You've had top 10 pick after top 10 pick, but where are the results, right? Because if the Sens don't make moves soon, I think we're going to see another Buffalo or Arizona situation here. If you're Eugene Melnick, I, I would be telling Pierre Dorian, DJ Smith, you've got until the trade deadline. I want to see improvement. I know this season's already a lost cause, but start showing improvement. Be consistent. Play, get this team to play decent hockey like they did towards the end of last year, or you're gone. And I, I don't think that's too much to be asking if you're the owner we're running out of patience here like and it's not just senators fans i would say it's just hockey fans in general in the hockey community you know you've given them enough time and they just seem to be in the same spot which is they have good young players they just don't have enough depth you could say that dj smith has not done a great job as head coach but again like you have to think about the personnel that he's been given, he hasn't been given much. So I, I don't know how much he can do differently when he doesn't have the roster to play to make this team better. Well, that's why I'm not calling for DJ Smith to go. I do think he should be on the warm seat. Pierre Dorian should be on the hot seat. I think he absolutely should. Because I think any other ownership would have fired him by now. They would have said, look, we've given you all the leeway in the world here. This is what happened with Jeff Molson. Look, we've given you all the time, all the money in the world to make something successful here and you haven't done it. So therefore you got to go. And you and I can discuss if it happens, Pierre Maguire ascends GM. It could happen. I think there's some pros and cons to that, but I think changes need to happen in the front office or this team isn't going anywhere. And I think what's really telling for a lot of Sens fans is not only have the Sens been bad, but teams that were starting rebuilds around the same time the Sens were, like New Jersey and Detroit, are surpassing them. And Ottawa has arguably drafted better. But you look at Steve Yeiserman, he's been making really good moves. And that's where the difference makers come in. And to wrap up on Ottawa, until you start bringing in good veteran forward and defensive players the Sens aren't going anywhere and the heat needs to be on Pierre Dorian bottom line yeah absolutely all right let's let's finish on Ottawa there let's quickly talk about the New York Islanders and this is a team that you and I were high on going into the season and last year and the year before we really liked what they were doing Now, before we get into it, they have had COVID issues. They obviously had the issue of not being able to start at home because the arena wasn't ready. There have been things that have happened. But in terms of the way this team is playing, I don't even recognize the New York Islanders right now. Like, 
they don't look like the Islanders I expect to see night in, night out. No, uh, and the big issue for me, Mac, is where's the scoring touch? With all the talent they have on that team, you'd think they have more goals. But the Islanders are dead last in the league with only 32 goals for. And to me, that's quite something. And it's quite telling. Yeah, and just like I said, the way they're playing, they're not playing well defensively. Right now, they're 5-10-2. So they're dead last in their division. The next team above them is Philadelphia with 20 points. So they're eight points behind the seventh place team. And remember, this this is an Islanders team that made moves like signing Parisi, like signing Chara, that expected to be in the conversation to potentially win the cup. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions going on right now. And uh, obviously all the talk is kind of around the Canucks and the Montreal Canadiens and maybe some other teams. And I don't feel like they're getting that attention in terms of just how brutal this start has been. Do you? No, I don't think so. And they should be because as you mentioned, this is an Islanders team that going into the season, a lot of people had as their potential Stanley cup favorite. And the roster was looking pretty good. As you mentioned, they've had COVID issues. There's been other issues off the ice and things have been out of their control. But at the same time, you look at the roster and what's been going on and questions need to be starting to be asked of Barry Trotz, you know, this is, and I love Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz is one of my favorite coaches because of how consistent he is, which is, I think, partially why this is so surprising. But between the scoring touch and the goaltending, it really just hasn't been good enough for the Islanders. On the topic of goaltending, Mac Varlamov, who the Islanders have had as their go-to guy for the last few years, he has not been good at all this year. A 346 goals against average and an 881 save percentage is simply not good enough. Uh, you and I were talking about his low glove weakness before starting the recording. And that's where teams have been exploiting him. You watch an Islanders game, you watch goals against them, and the teams are beating him low glove side. And that's something he needs to work on. Otherwise, the goaltending may stick where it is. So between the low scoring and the bad goaltending, the Islanders just, have been a train wreck. I do think they can turn it around though, Mac. It doesn't mean they're going to make the playoffs, but if they can uh, make some adjustments, if Varlamov can figure out the glove side and they can, and Barry Trost can make some adjustments on the offensive schemes to open things up, get some more scoring in and get his star players scoring again. This is a team that if they play really well, could just sneak back into the playoffs. So I don't think all hope is lost for the Islanders, Mac, because with the talent they have on this roster and what we know they can do, I do think that they can turn things around, but it's going to be, need to be done quickly and adjustments need to be made ASAP. Oh, for sure. And not only did we mention the record, but a negative 20 goal differential, which is, you know, Montreal has a negative 30 goal dif- differential. Ottawa has a negative 27 goal differential. Arizona has a negative 37 goal differential. And then the only other team that has a worse goal differential is Vancouver at negative 21. So, I mean, the other thing in play here is that this division this year has been quite good. And we mentioned Columbus before we started the recording, and they've been a pleasant surprise under the new coach. Philadelphia has been solid, although not great. New Jersey has been good. 
you know, Pittsburgh has survived without Malkin and Crosby. Now Crosby's back. Tristan Jari has been a great story for them. The Rangers are off to a good start. Obviously have Washington and Carolina at the top of the division. So this is by no means a cakewalk for the Islanders to get back into the playoffs. So I think it's imperative that they really start to turn this around soon because they've lost eight in a row. And it just seems like they're, they're not playing with any confidence. You know, Matty Barzell does not look like himself. And (laughs) that's not an easy question for me to answer as somebody who's not an NHL player, but the feeling in the room right now is boy, we need a win. We need something to go right. We need something positive to build off in their schedule coming up. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm feeling good about the Islanders in that I know that they're still a good team. Obviously, it's not an easy task for the Islanders to get things turned around, but I really do think that it needs to happen soon. I don't think they can afford to keep letting points slip away like this. All right, let's uh, finish on a positive note here and let's talk about the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, Anaheim, uh, another pleasant surprise for us this year, Mac. And yeah, you look at their record, 11-8-3. Not too spectacular, but considering where they were last year and where they have been the past few years, it's been pretty good. The, the question for me, Mac, is can they maintain this pace? Because we've seen this before where they've gone off in an okay start and they just can't maintain it through the rest of the season. I hope they do. You look at some of the underlying stats. Gibson has had a pretty darn good year. Him and Stolarz as a tandem has been great. And, and you look at Gibson's stats, 9-6-0 and with a 261 goals against averages. Isn't the absolute best in the world, but it's pretty darn good. And scoring depth has been quite good so far for Anaheim. That's one thing I've really noticed with him. Troy Terry has been off to a career best start with 13 goals and 10 assists, good for 23 points. And I also made a note here, Mac, I've been impressed with Getzlaff. Yeah, he hasn't had a whole lot of scoring like he used to, but what I've really noticed is he's been a bit of a playmaker and he's been really making some plays, especially when they were playing Ottawa a few days ago. I really noticed how Getzlaff is still playing physical, but he seems to have reformed his game a little bit to become more of a playmaker. And right now he's got a single goal, but 19 helpers. And to me, that's the mark of a good playmaker. And having Getzlaff have a resurgence like he is has been a big boost because this is an Anaheim team, Mac. Their member is still quite young. And they've got lots of young guys who are still kind of trying to find their way. You and I mentioned earlier in uh, the Ottawa segment that you need veterans to help reinforce this young team. And guys like Kevin Shattenkirk and Ryan Getzlaff, Adam Henrique, for example, are filling that role nicely. They've been, all three of them have been getting pretty good points totals with Gaslav with 20, Henrique with 15, and Shattenkirk with 14. Nothing that's going to blow up the league, but being able to get consistent points, well, getting some of your young guys lots of minutes like Stan Steele. This, this is a team, Mac, that is on the rise. I just wonder if they can continue to maintain at this pace especially with teams like Vegas, like LA, even teams like San Jose right behind them. No, you're right. And this is a great example for kind of fans of rebuilding teams to look at because even though they have all this young talent, they still need more veterans to complement this young core. I mean, they could still use a couple, you know, two, three more guys 
to help get them kind of back into that playoff picture. So, you know, it's really important to know that rebuilding is not just about acquiring young players and draft picks. It's about building a team that can sustain success for the future. Now, one of the things you mentioned was Troy Terry. And, you know, if you look back at last year, Troy Terry's name was in trade conversations. There was talk of maybe a move. There was talk that he wasn't working out with the organization. You know, it was very loud and he was struggling to put it lightly after being a very prolific junior level player, including in the world juniors, but he has put the work in. He's become a better player. He's worked on his shot, his overall game. And like you said, the results have been there. You know, Ryan Getzlaff is still a great leader, still a very good player. Like you mentioned, he's more of a playmaker than ever now. He's still very good at face-offs. The only concern I have with the Ducks, like you mentioned, is can they sustain that structure? And I have to be honest, the last few games that I've watched them, because I've followed them a decent amount this year, it does kind of look like a yard sale still in the defensive zone. And they're chasing guys, and they're not able to hold that defensive structure and keep other teams off the board. Now, having said that, for the most part, they're still in most of the games they play. And this is a young team. So, I mean, again, the expectations are we expect them to improve every season. Okay, so just closing off this episode, we do have to mention that Jake DeBrusque has asked for a trade from the Boston Bruins. And we were mentioning the Senators. The Senators appear to be interested. We don't necessarily know where those negotiations will go. Obviously, there's a number of teams interested in him, but, you know, another example of a young player, high draft pick, really talented, just hasn't quite found the footing in Boston. He's been very inconsistent. He's had struggles at times. It it just seems like they're looking on a fresh start for the player. And again, you know, I always appreciate when GMs realize that type of situation and they say that they can't win all these situations and they want the player to succeed. And I think that's the case with Don Sweeney and Jake DeBrusque. So we'll see where he ends up, but it sounds like he will be on the move at some point. All right. So lots and lots of stuff to talk about this week. Of course, we will have two more episodes for you next month. And with the Olympics getting closer and more and more trades happening and teams moving up down, we'll have lots and lots to talk about in our coming episodes of Sunrise. As always, thank you so, so much for listening. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, for Mac and myself, enjoy the game, guys. (laughs) 